0: Been singing about, um, kind of, kind of segues a little bit uh, where we've been, where we were last week, and, uh, where we're heading in tonight. Um, actually, I'd like to start at the end of chapter four to sing about heaven and eternity with Him and His glory and His goodness, and that He has accomplished it, uh, fits in super well with this. Uh, so i just like to read where we're going to be tonight, and then we'll just kind of break things down a little bit. Let's start at the end of chapter 4 and verse 16, which is what we wrapped up last week. It says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's been setting up these these two perspectives. Um, we can look uh, and interpret life and suffering and circumstances through uh, through a temporary point of view, um, or we can see things um, through the eyes of faith uh, from an eternal perspective as God does. Um, and there is a great deal of despair and hopelessness and negativity and whatever when we have that tunnel vision and we're totally focused looking at the like temporary. When we step back and we recognize that there is a greater story being told, um, that shift in perspective um, and bringing in uh, just the sovereignty and power of God over all things um, helps us just realign with Him. And so, when He says these are tempor- temporary, momentary, light afflictions that we're going through, um, He's looking in, in light of eternity. He's looking at the things that are unseen instead of the things that are seen, and He's trying to disciple this congregation and further can, you know, teach them how to have that kind of perspective. And so, we're we're kind of in that in that same place. Um, really trying to, to to get that perspective you know because sometimes things happen and, and it really feels like you know the world's coming to an end for you you know like it's you just get beat up by life sometimes um, and we we do struggle and suffer our way through and um, sometimes you know it's 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 relational you know where uh, I mean people are betraying you or uh, people are just like too much to put up with and you're not sure who you can count on or um, or sometimes you're the one who, who's been betraying other people and it's just sometimes relationally you just get so beat up uh, sometimes you know it's work it's just miserable or sometimes it's finances that just stress you out um, sometimes it's it's sin issues that we are just fighting our way through and you kind of seem like you know nothing will ever change or whatever and, and I mean sometimes it's physical I mean it's it's sickness it's disease it's you know those kinds of struggles uh, whatever it is I mean we're we're all going through it even people who who look like they have like these perfect lives, they don't. I mean, we're all we're all in it together. And our specific issues may vary, but all of us are trying to not look at things through that narrow perspective, but trying to consider the fact that this is part of God's story that He's writing, and and how can how can I persevere through this in a faithful way that is obedient and one that is not sinning, but is, that is bringing glory to God through this, and um. So that's that's kind of where he is. So he goes into this next next part. Look at verse five. It says so, so we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put on, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Yes we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body whether good or evil. Okay? So he's continuing where what he's been talking about in that the sense of perspective and things uh, and faith as opposed to sight. Okay? So that that big idea carries over but now he's getting into um, some, some real forward thinking and really just looking down ahead of, of life and, and getting into uh, what happens when you die and uh, heaven and some of those kinds of things. And so um, it's funny because like, I've, I've heard pastors who, who take this kind of approach to preaching where they, they pick a book and they just go through it verse by verse or a section of a book, but they just go through it, you know, just one after the other, and they always talk about how uh, it helps you helps you to be just thorough in your teaching and whatever's next you have to talk about it even if it's a verse you wish wasn't there or whatever. And so um, some of this stuff, not that I don't want to talk about heaven and all that kind of stuff, that I definitely do, but it wouldn't be something I would normally go to if I was picking like standalone kind of sermons. And so this would kind of be a little bit different for us tonight. So so all right, so look at, at verse one. Now he's talking. He talks about a tent. And a home. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All right? Now, he's he's not talking about a mansion built for you in glory. Um, Heaven may have mansions in it. I don't know. The hymn writers seem to think so. Uh, My grandparents all seem to think so. Uh, they taught me to think so so part of me thinks so I don't I don't know why uh, but um, he right here is not saying you have a mansion in heaven the building he's talking about in heaven is not a physical building to live in just like the earthly tent he's talking about here is not you know not that the earthly tent is this body that you and I live in the uh, heavenly God's building that he's creating for us to live in is a glorified Heavenly, like existence. So yes, in heaven, like these will not be the bodies that we, uh, like, I don't know, roll around in, like, like roll through the streets, not like roll down hills. <laughs> uh, you know, like the, it will it will not it will not be this. Now I don't know I don't, I don't know if we're gonna recognize each other or you know whatever. Are we all gonna like be super built? I don't really know. Uh, I don't think that's the point. Um, but. When, when, when we understand theologically that um, we were born under a curse, our bodies are under that curse as well. So the body that you have right now is going to get older, fall apart, and eventually stop working. That that first domino has been hit. Like that's roll, it's rolling for you and for me, for all of us. Um the soul was meant to be housed in a body that's when when god formed adam i mean out of the dirt and then eve from his side uh, like the the soul was meant to, to be housed the soul and the body are meant to go together and so in eternity in our future our soul will be housed by a what what in the church we call a glorified body, which I think is where the like, six-pack abs you know, idea came from, uh, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, um, glorified, not necessarily meaning in a fleshly, earthly sense, in the sense that it, that body will not be under the curse of sin and death that this one is under. That body will not fall apart, grow old, and stop working. Um, that one's good to go for eternity. And so in this verse... Says, let's look at again. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Um, If you are a Christian and you pass away, you can you can enter into a situation like that, or you're you can grieve the loss of someone else who is a believer with confidence. Knowing that, that this is the case. That yes, our earthly bodies are going to die, but there is one that is that awaits us that is never going to die, never going to perish, not under the curse. Now, it's the reason why is because we are we put on this glorified body that is it is the glory of, of God. That's why it's called glorified body. It's not glorified in the sense that it looks good. It's glorified in the sense that it is like made by God, that it is there's holiness to it, there's a pureness to it, there is no curse. I mean, it's it's as He designed for us. So He's pretty much saying, like, look, um, if I die, I'm good. And this is a dude who constantly faced the threat of death, constantly persecuted, constantly getting arrested, constantly getting in trouble uh, for his faith, Um, you know, in prison, beaten up. I mean, you name it, it's happened to him. He's constantly facing death. And what he's saying is like, look, this body, it's just a tent. It's temporary. It's not very reliable. I'm not counting on this. I got something better waiting for me. It's infinitely better. So, yeah, you know, let's, let's... Let's do this, you know? Like, let's live. And if you die, you die. It's okay. So, so that's the first verse. Look at at the next one. It gets weirder. Not that's weird, but the wording gets interesting, as you know, because we just read it. Uh, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Okay, now, weird, right? Uh, Remember, this is a letter that he is writing to people that he lived with for a year and a half. He's already taught certain things to uh, them. He, he knows what they've covered or whatever. So there are times when we read these letters and he's referencing things they've already talked about. But we aren't privy to that. We're just reading the letter. you know. Um, and so there's some explanation of things that he taught in 1 Corinthians and some things that he probably taught when he was there in person that he also taught through these other letters and stuff like that. So let me just sort of give you a summation of kind of what he's talking about here. All right. So the soul... Meant to be housed in a body. Um, what he is is saying is that there, are you, he could he could die, or Jesus could come back. Those are kind of the, kind of the two options. So um, if Jesus comes back, which he's coming back, I don't know if you heard um, he's. <laughs> Jesus is going to return and uh, take all of us with him, all right? Now, upon his return, um, that's when that glorified body happens, all right? So if uh, during church tonight Jesus were to return, awesome, um, if that were to happen, I don't know what this would look like, but somehow our soul would... Vacate this body, and would then be housed in this new glorified body. I don't know if that's like when we're flying through the sky. I don't know if that's up in heaven. I don't know if like everybody just goes dead everywhere, and then the fringe division comes in to figure out what just happened or what. But uh, something crazy is going to happen on that in that moment, and it's going to be awesome. Now, what Paul is like, and that's, that's what Paul wants. Okay, um, because in the in that moment, exactly what it says, what is uh, uh, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. All right. So in that moment, oh, uh, some some would say that like literally like your body would just collapse. Others would say that the glorified body would actually be put on over you somehow or whatever. And honestly, it doesn't really matter um, because. In that moment, the, our mortality, is, like he says, literally swallowed up by life. That we go from these bodies that are uh, that get sick, that fall apart, that our bones break. I mean, all these ho- things happen, or whatever, um, and and they are slowly like basically we're on this path to death. Um, we go from that, and we are then just completely clothed and wrapped in something that is like forever and eternal. So our mortal lives are swallowed up by life. Um, so what like these bodies are going to fall victim to death. And the grave is ultimately going to win when it comes to our physical body. But our soul that's going to be swallowed up and covered by something that sin and the grave and death can't touch. And so Paul sees that as, as the ideal of let me escape this mortal life to be swallowed up by eternal life in Christ. Now, if you die before Jesus comes back, which Paul has done, um, there is what's, what's known as the intermediate state. All right? um, this is not purgatory. It's not. The intermediate state means this. You pass away. Your soul goes to be with Jesus. Your body goes in the grave. But your soul exists without a body. And your soul exists without a body until the second coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes and returns, and all that glorification happens, and everything gets swallowed up, and then you have the glorified body. So Paul and Peter and every Christian that's ever lived on the earth and died, their souls are with the Lord now but they don't have a body. And when Jesus comes back, everything gets swallowed up in life. Now for Paul, he's saying, uh, I, w- I don't want to be in waiting. I don't want my soul to be um, un- uncovered. without. I don't want to be in that design, because that's not the way that God designed things. He designed the soul to be Housed in a body. So when he in this passage, when he's talking about like n- nakedness, that's what he's talking about, is the exposure of the soul without a body. He doesn't that's he doesn't like that. He doesn't want that. Because he doesn't see that as how God does like created things to be. So when he talks about putting on the heavenly dwelling, he's like, I want to put on that glorified body. I don't want to, I don't want my soul to be up there, even though with the Lord, yes, but like the thought of it being without a body just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't gel well with me. It doesn't seem to be the way God created things. Uh, so I don't, I don't, well, I wouldn't choose that. Put it that way. So, so look, that may have made zero sense, but let's read this with a, with a thing about all that. Verse two: For, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Okay, that heavenly dwelling being that glorified body. All right, we're longing to put that on. And and our our bodies are groaning for that to happen. See, Paul, uh, he has a really like just really amazing way of looking at a lot of things. Like he would he would interpret um, like earthquakes and hurricanes and like all these natural things that happen with the earth and the shifting of the plates and all this kind of stuff as creation groaning under its curse and longing for liberation from that curse. And he would look at like. Our bodies like getting sick and having disease and, and like being broken and bruised and all this kind of stuff. As uh, that's our way of like physically, our bodies are longing for, to be liberated from like that curse of death. And so he's saying, like, look, we're living in this tent, and tents are not reliable, and they get beat up, and we're we're groaning, we're longing to put on that glorifying body to be liberated from all this junk. It's been uh, it's one of the things that. Um, Matt Chandler is a pastor in Dallas and he has brain cancer, and he's he's been just so steady to say that, you know, that in his moments of frustration about disease and death, he'll just he'll put it on Twitter or whatever, like, Jesus, just come soon. Come quickly. No more, no more of this disease, no more dying, no more pain, no more what it's come on. It's cool. So it says verse two: For in this tent we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's that's what he wants. Verse five: He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So God has, has prepared us for this eternity of existing and this glorified state. I love that verse. He's, he's prepped us for it. I mean, that's what that's what we're getting ready for. He talks about the Spirit being a guarantee. Here's why, here's, here's why we can live confidently. And face death confidently. The Spirit as a guarantee, the Spirit of God will lead us into His presence upon our death. I mean, someone that's a Christian were to die tonight, you don't have this soul that's out wandering and lost. The Spirit of God Faithful to lead you into his presence. The Spirit's been given as a as a guarantee, as a down payment. So if the Spirit lives in us, the Spirit's not going to be like, Oh, I don't really know where to go. But no, we're going home. That's why the, that's why purgatory doesn't make sense biblically. I'm not trying to pick on anybody or whatever, but it, it doesn't. Spirit is our guarantee. So if you're in this room and you've ever, and you're just really worried about, like, okay, all of us are worried about dying, like the process of dying. We're all terrified of it, you know. That's going to hurt, It's going to be long and drawn out, that you know our house is going to be a wreck, you know, or Whatever. I mean, all of us—we all have those things about it. Nobody's like, "I can't wait to die." But there should be nothing about us as believers that's afraid of death, because the Spirit has been given us a guarantee. He has prepared us, and the Spirit leads us into His presence. Beautiful. Look Look at the next part, verse six. So, so we are always of good courage. That's what he's saying. Like, so we don't fear anything because what do we have to fear? Nothing. We're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the Lord, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. All right. So let's look at that again. Verse six. We're of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Okay? Now, it seems kind of strange. So, um, he's pretty much saying he would rather be dead. Because if he's dead, he's in the presence of God, which is the ultimate like fulfillment of all of our like real desires is to, to be with him like fully. Now yes, spirit is in us and we're one with him and all this kind of stuff. But we have got those over, overlapping circles, you know. We got spirit versus flesh. We got all kinds of stuff going on here, and we we should absolutely long for that to happen. And there's plenty, I, you know. I think there's a lot of times where we, we just don't really. We just don't, because I don't think we really think that way. You know, it seems like it's just so far away for us. There's all these, you know, all these good old hymns. You know, kind of was saying some tonight. Hymns always, always end with heaven. The last verse is always about eternity and glory and all that stuff. I I think that's a perspective like we've we've got to bring into how we view things. To so recognize, guess. I mean, Jesus has—he's rescued us, and he's rescuing us. One day, he will completely rescue us. So Paul's saying, you know, we'd rather be away from these bodies and present with the Lord. That's—that's where we should be. And so it's—it's—it's kind of like Paul sees like three options. You know, the first one would be Jesus, like in his in his time in his lifetime, to return. So he could just go from like this body to glorified body. That would be his first choice. That's what he's saying. is That's what I want. That's what I'm hoping happens. The second choice would be um, for him to die before Jesus comes back. And so he passes away. His body goes into the ground. And his soul goes to be with the Lord until the second coming. And he has to wait. But he's waiting in a pretty good place. That would be his second choice. And his third choice... Would be to live here on the earth, and to be obedient, and to be faithful. To do the things that God has called him to do and equipped him to do. Basically, to live by faith, and not by sight. And that's where we find ourselves. We should, that's, that's where we are. We're in that third option. We're living. So if we're going to live, let's live by faith and not by sight. Let's live with the big picture. Let's keep heaven in mind. Let's long for the day when we hear trumpets and crazy things start happening. But you know what if we die and we got to be with him and we wait then that's fine too. Every single scenario is pretty phenomenal. And I think that's what Paul's trying to communicate to him. Like look you don't you don't live without that perspective in mind. You don't interpret life and go through normal circumstances of life without considering the like eternal destination that God has preparing you, has prepared you for and is preparing for you. Don't lose sight of the future in verse 9 so, so whether whether we're at home, or away, okay. Whether wh- wherever we are, we make it our aim to please Him. See, I think. Well, I've, I've been I've been this way, and I've seen a lot of people this way. Like I'm, I mean, I'm. So I'm safe. There's like nothing I did to earn it, and it's all good. It's all secure, so I can do whatever I want. So I'm definitely going to heaven. Cool. Paul saying, "Yeah, it doesn't really matter, home or away. it Doesn't matter. You you live to please the Lord." You know, verse ten. This is. I mean, this, here you go. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Cool. All right. What in the world does that mean? Um this letter is written to Christians, okay it's written to a church. So as Christians, we don't we don't get out of that just because we're saved. So there comes a moment for everybody here where we stand in front of Jesus and he sits on this seat. And he looks at you and says, let's talk about your life. Now, this is helpful for me. It might not be helpful for you. Um, I, can, I, mean, I, I can bring in a trillion questions about this, but I think that would be missing the point. So let me just bring in one scenario. Let's, let's think in terms that Jesus used of, of a vine or, you know, or a chunk of a tree and branches that bear fruit, okay? So let's think of that moment as Jesus saying, let's, let's talk about your life and let's talk about the fruit that your life has been producing. All right? And let's say that the fruit he's looking for, the, the fruit of the Spirit, let's say that they're lemons. Okay? So I think that there are people who are going to stand before God and Jesus is going to look at them and say, let's talk about your life and what kind of fruit you've been producing. And I think for whatever reason, they're not going to be lemons. Maybe it's other fruit, maybe it's no fruit, whatever. Create all these scenarios, I don't really know. But the bottom line is, he's looking for lemons, and he doesn't see lemons. I think in that moment, the holy, just Savior... It's going to deal with that person in a way that is holy and just. If you want to ask more questions about what I think about that, I'll tell you later. You can ask me later. I just think that the character of Jesus, our Savior, is going to deal appropriately with that person. Okay? Okay? We can create all kind of what ifs and what about this and this and this and this and all that stuff all day long. But ultimately, it's his call. And I'm really glad that it's his call. And I'm going to celebrate regardless. Okay? But we're not here to talk about all that. We're here to talk about you. So let's say that you stand there and he says, let's talk about your life. and The kind of lot, kind of fruit that your life is producing. I think there's two things that go on here in this moment. Uh, one, I think he's looking for lemons. If he sees lemons, that's good. I think he says, You're one of mine. I can see that because the fruit that's produced in your life is evidence of the health of the tree. So if you've ever had fruit trees, you don't, I mean, the, the way that you tell about it, the health of a tree is that. Is it producing fruit? And is the fruit that's producing the right kind and is it healthy? So I'm not saying we're saved by works, but I'm saying like when we are saved, there are natural good things that our lives produce. So first of all, he's looking to see if he sees lemons. And then he's looking to see how many lemons he sees. New Testament, all over. That... The more fruit our lives produce, there's great reward in heaven for that. I don't know how that's going to work. I think if he looks and he says, "I see lemons," and there's six of them, he's like, "Yes, well done. Come in, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you since the beginning of time." Let's say another person comes in. He's like I see lemons, and there's like six dozen lemons. Awesome. Well done. Come and inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you since the beginning of time. And there are some people who are going to walk in, and he's—I mean, their branches are just on the ground because they can't support the amount of fruit. I can't even count them. when I'm God. Look at all the lemons, you know. <laughs> I think he's going to be so pumped. I don't think he's going to say only six. Uh -uh. I think he's going to be like, Lemons, look at these. Awesome. Awesome. More lemons, the more the reward. I don't know how that's going to look. But let me, I was thinking about this today. I was like, "How, How many lemons is enough for me? You know? I think that is what Paul's saying. He's like, No matter what's going on, you live to please him. Like, you just want to keep producing all this fruit out of gratitude and love. For the Lord, I mean, I want a life that just produces. Not because I want a bunch of reward, but because I want to see that big smile. I want to go and I want to inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for me in eternity. And I want to do it with all of us together. And I want to live in a glorified body for the rest of time with our Savior. It's going to be awesome. And you know what? I can put up with anything that happens on this earth when I think about that. Money, who cares? Budgets, who cares? Economy, doesn't matter. If I get a bad report from the doctor, who cares? If I, like, pass away suddenly or whatever, I, it just doesn't matter in light of eternity. We got to be there. We got to be there. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and um, we thank you, Father, for the for the ways you've taken care of us. And just for the way that, um, just for the way that you meet us where we are, and you you give us so much to consider. So, Father, help us to live by faith and not by sight to not rely on what is visible and what, we, what appears to be the case. We don't, we don't want to live that narrow-sided life. We want to live with eternity in mind in all things at all times. We want to live to please You. We want to have um, hope that, is, that has that moment in mind. When we stand before you, in that smile, we want to hear you say, well done. Father, until then, help us to push through. Help us to interpret everything in light of who you are and in light of eternity. I just pray you just continue to change our perspective. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.